This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Welcome to the Center for Sports Studies podcast. My name is Brandon Podgorski, Professor of Sport Management at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to this week's podcast. On today's podcast, I am joined by the coordinator of game activations and marketing for the Indy 11, Rachel Lopez. After working in ticket sales for the Fort Wayne 10 Caps, Indianapolis Indians, and Indy Fuel, Rachel has now transitioned into a marketing role where she fulfills partnership contracts and creates memories for fans with the Indy 11. In this episode, she explains how part-time jobs in sports helped her to get her big break, the importance of keeping the fan first, and the value in learning sales skills, even for non-sales roles. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, joining us on the show today is Rachel Lopez, and I love her title if you checked out her LinkedIn page. She is a memory maker for sports fans, and she is coming up on one year with the Indy 11 soccer team down in Indianapolis. So, Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure to have you. Um, being a guy from, you know, born and, and mostly raised in Indianapolis, it's always kind of fun to have people from central Indiana join the show, um, especially with the with the eleven. Uh, many people might not know about the 11. I know they've been around for uh, a number of years now, I think going close to about a decade. And uh, Mike Hinn has been a great friend of the program here down at Trine. <laughs> so we love him. So tell us about your role. And I want to go back to that. You call yourself a memory maker. And I think that's like the best title for somebody working, you know, in the revenue development side, especially on tickets. Um, but you do a little bit of everything there with the 11. So tell us about your role there down in Indy. Yeah, so my current role is the game activation and marketing coordinator. Um, I started that in July, but I originally came to the team in February as a ticket senior ticket sales account executive. So have only been with the team for about seven, eight months um, and have already switched departments, which has been very exciting. And then I kind of had my feet in just a little bit of everything. So still am carrying out some of my group sales that I started initially in the season, as well as planning some of the game activations and fully operating on the game operations side during game day. So I do a little bit of everything is a great way to describe it. I always say I do everything but coach or play. So, <laughs> well, and so I want to talk about operations and let me, yeah. let me ask you a follow-up question for that because I've had a lot of students who are maybe a, a little bit nervous about going into the ticket sales side and we'll set, we'll definitely get into that, but mm -hmm. operations, like what do you do when you hear the term operations? It's a broad umbrella term, but like specifically, what do you do there for the 11? So we do pretty much everything to get gates ready to open. Um, the way I describe it to our interns who might be student athletes is if you think about when you show up for a game, you show up maybe an hour, 90 minutes before kickoff of whatever you're playing. Um, someone has to be there seven hours before to get signage out, set up concession stands, move the benches for you to sit on. Um, and that's what we're doing. So on a game day, I normally, if we have a seven o'clock kickoff, um, I'm there at noon and we are doing just that. We're loading up golf carts with parking lot signage. We are setting up the fun zone, turning on the inflatable, moving the player benches. Um, we have a unique situation where we play on the campus of IUPUI. So we have to completely set up our entire operation on game day and tear it down in the same day. So 
as from benches to signage to our hospitality areas is set up day of and also torn down day of. Um, so it's a grind. It's a lot of manual labor and it's not always glamorous. Um, August 9th, we had a two and a half hour rain delay where my boss, Morgan Keenley, was in a pantsuit with her elbow deep in a drain on the side of the field to remove debris so that we could play the game. <laughs> like, so that's just what it is. Um, I think a lot of people think it's the fun side of having the activations and doing all of the fun things around the game, but it's mm -hmm. also a lot but more than that, um, as far as set up, tear down, making sure that the game can be played on time. Yeah. I mean, somebody has to set up the field and somebody has to set up the stands and the signage and all that stuff. It doesn't mm -hmm. just happen as, as much as you might want to make it just kind of just Wish happen, would, you yeah. know, <laughs> uh, by, by snapping your fingers. Um, and the good news is though, that the Indy 11 have a new stadium on the way. So when is that scheduled to open? Should be the start of our 2025 season. Um, so we should have the rest, the remainder of this year and then all of next season still at Carroll Stadium on the campus of IEPY. And then hopefully 2025 is when we'll be kicking off in our new stadium. And I know some, that's been something a long time coming and, and the team is wanted there in downtown. So that'd be pretty exciting. Just on the other side of Victory Field, right? Kind of like yep. So everything's going to be really close in proximity. Um, Gainbridge, Victory Field, Lucas Oil, and then 11 Park are all going to be pretty much within walking distance of each other. All right. Very cool. So excited for that. You know, to go back to your title as a memory maker. So <clears> what do you mean by that? Because I think that's something that until students actually get out into the field, do an internship or actually start working, you know, we can talk about it here in the classroom. But once you actually start kind of selling those tickets and getting people into the gate, it's hard to kind of comprehend. So when you consider yourself a memory maker, what does that mean in the context of selling tickets? So for me, the entire phrase kind of started from my experience um, working at Disney World and working there, which I can jump into my history a little bit, sure. but my sophomore year of college, I went to the University of St. Francis and my major was business administration. So when I went in for my first class, sports was nowhere on my radar. I didn't know jobs in sports were an option. And we even had Scott Sprout, who's one of the vice presidents of the Fort Wayne Comets, mm -hmm. come in and speak to us. And I remember him talking to us and I was like, not applying to me, like not what I'm interested in. Um, and I just kept doing my accounting classes and that's what I thought I was going to do with my life. And then my sophomore year, I went and did the Disney college program um, down in Orlando at Walt Disney World. So was still unrelated to sports. I just worked at Pop Century Resort and Typhoon Lagoon, came home for my fall semester of my junior year, returned to Disney World in the spring. Um, my roommate said she was applying again. So I went back with her and that second round, I was placed at the ESPN Wide World of Sports. So um, that was kind of where I got had my eyes open to jobs in sports. When I was there was the last year that the Atlanta Braves did their spring training there. So I worked alongside the Braves and kind of saw what their staff was doing during spring training. Um, granted, a lot of my job was just standing out in the outfield, making sure no one got hit by foul balls. Um, sometimes I got to do cool stuff, like be down on the field while... Dansby Swanson's parents were there for like a little fan interaction and like kind of got to start to facilitate some of those exciting things. Came back from that experience for to finish my senior year and then rolled into my internship with the Tin Caps doing marketing and promotions. So Disney really ingrained in me that like Disney specifically, a lot of people only get to do that trip one time. Yep. Um, and I've kind of just made that apply to everything that I do in sports. Sometimes people are only going to one soccer game or one baseball game or what have you. And how do we make an impression on them where they're taking a break out of their day-to-day -day life and we get to give them that escape for 
90 minutes or nine innings or whatever we might have them in our facility for. So um, one thing I learned at Disney was kind of like your experience starts in the parking lot. So from our operations side, we make sure that we have with the 11, we start that in the parking lot. We have our parking people kind of continuing our mentality of like, this is people are spending money with us Mm -hmm. and we should value that. And then also making sure that we have a lasting impression on them in the most positive way that we can. So that's why I call it a memory maker from if I'm on the game activation side of getting Star Wars characters in the venue and making those memories for kiddos, or if I'm on the ticket sales side and I'm working with a group to get their one and only group outing for the season with their company and they get to bring their spouses and children, how am I helping them make those memories while they're at the game? So that's kind of how I spin it. And it really applies to just about every facet of the industry. Well, it's so tough because you're not selling like a product that that's tangible that you're actually going to use. Um, but you're right. You are selling those memories. I think of like some of the the most fun memories, at least with my family and my four-year-old son, um, are, are going to ball games. And um, sometimes it's hard to part with that money a little bit because, you know, hey, I need a new lawnmower part or something like exactly. that. But, <laughs> um, but you're right. I mean, the memories ha- have made it worth it. And I'm glad that's something that, that you know, my wife also sees value in. So- Kind of going back just a little bit to something you said, because you, you talk, you know, we talk about sports is really competitive to get into. Well, so is that Disney program as well for the internship. So how did you land that? And did that give you a little bit of confidence to kind of make the leap into the world of sports? It definitely gave me a little bit more confidence. Um, truthfully, getting into it feels like a lottery. Um, I know people who had notes and notes going into those interviews and were so prepared and watched so many YouTube videos about other people who had done it. Okay. And I was sitting in my dorm eating a pizza bagel and I forgot that I had a phone interview <laughs> and got it. Um, so that really, the entire system is kind of like a chance um, and how well you do on the phone and then where you're placed is completely random. Um, I think my job with ESPN my second round was due to the fact that I also used to be a board operator for a radio station um, back in my hometown. I'm from Marion originally. Okay. So I did board operation on the ESPN radio station. And I feel like that's what influenced the lady to like place me at ESPN wide world of sports, but I really don't know. But that's my only guess is that she was like, oh, there's ESPN. We're going to put her here. Um, And it was really ironic because when I worked at the water park um, the year before, I had heard awful, awful things about ESPN and I was so afraid to go. I really almost didn't go that second year because I was so afraid of what I had heard about working there just because of the competitions and things that they hosted Mm. Um, was really long hours. It was like 18 hour days. Like during that time with the Braves, there were 15 hour shifts where I was standing in the parking lot, making sure no one broke into Freddie Freeman's car. Like it was not always fun (laughs) like on the field with the players, Um, but it was gave me a lot of confidence working with such a high volume of people and also such a diverse group of attendants that really once you have Disney on your resume, it kind of helps you just about anywhere else. Um, So I think it definitely helped me getting into my internship with the Tin Caps and then just about every position since then, I've been able to apply something from Disney to what I'm doing. You kind of answered my my next question. So I'm going to kind of rephrase it in a little bit different way. Instead of kind of asking, you know, how have your experiences helped you now in this role with the 11? One of the things, again, I kind of hear from students, maybe they want to work in marketing, they want to work in operations, but they can't just get that job right out of school. You know, it, it, and you'd probably agree it's a process and you need some experience and it just takes a little bit of time. You got to work the 15 hours guarding Freddie Freeman's car before you can kind of do the cool stuff that yeah. you're doing now. But especially, you know, I, 
I, I'm hesitant to put students into a sales position or say, hey, go into sales, work there a few years, and then all of a sudden you'll be able to transfer and do anything else. I think, you know, there's a great career path there in sales, and I wouldn't want to put somebody there who doesn't necessarily want to be there. However, yeah. is there is there a way, like if a student says, hey, I really want to be on the marketing side, but I'm willing to give sales a try. I'm going to bust it as hard as I can, and I'm going to try to make some connections, and then eventually hopefully I'll be, be able to step over. Is that a, a proper thing to do? Is that good advice? Is there a better way to do it just based on your experience? I think it's a good way to go. Um, truthfully, that's what I've done twice and it's worked okay. for me. Um, but I think more than just using it as a, a door to get into, still learning from that opportunity while you're in it. When So jumping a little bit back more into my experience, I finished my internship with the 10 Caps in 2019 in September. And then I started with Learfield doing ticket sales for NCAA championships okay. um, in that November. So I was, I did not, I, my internship was marketing and promotions. I did not think I wanted to do ticket sales. I was in the same position as a lot of students where I was like, that's not for me. I don't want to do that. And then when that's the only opportunity you have, you kind of suck it up and go. So that's what I did. And I ended up loving it. Like I hated the weekend because my job was just so fun. Um, and where I was with NCAA championships was we were selling tickets for like Frozen Four. Specifically, I was selling March Madness in March of 2020 when things were all canceled. Oh, wow. So that's what I was doing. But prior to March 13th of 2020, I was having the time of my life. Um, and what was really interesting about that position specifically was we were selling to like locations that we were not going to visit. So I was in inside sales, essentially. Um, I was never going to meet these people I was building relationships with on the phone. So I had to like make an impression to make them trust me to give me their credit card number within 15 seconds on the phone. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas most sales positions, you're going to get that face-to-face -face interaction opportunity. Um, and I wasn't getting that. So I learned a lot from just being strictly phone sales. And then again, didn't think I was going to like that and ended up loving it. Um, and so then following everything with COVID and taking a break off, they ended up furloughing us in July. And then I actually went and worked as a credit underwriter for a mortgage company for a short amount of time just to pay rent mm -hmm. and then got my position with the fuel doing ticket sales again. So it is very intimidating to somebody who doesn't have like a sales mindset. Um, but the way that I always spun it was one kind of leaning into that memory making experience, but also each group opportunity is like a mini event, which was fun in my brain. So I think kind of spinning it to learn from the position you're in. There's so much to learn from sales. There's so many relationships to build in sales and kind of benefiting from that while you're in it. And then if you're wanting to move into a different department, making yourself available to those departments, let them know you're interested. Um, and that might mean working more or going to more community appearances, doing more than your teammate might be doing who's content in sales. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what's gonna set you apart when, like in my situation, a position opened up and I was already in the team. So it was a lot more convenient for them to keep me and move me into that position where I could adapt um, rather than do hiring and bring someone in. So not saying that you should do it and sit and wait, definitely learn from it while you're in it. But there are opportunities if you apply yourself and make yourself available to other departments to kind of work your way into them, if that's where you and ultimately want to end up. 
So I think that's the key word there, or the key words you were talking about. I, I mean, one, you got to apply yourself. So, I mean, you're already going to be working a lot of hours. You got to work even harder, right? You got to mm -hmm. hustle a little bit more um, and just making yourself available. And sometimes I could just be like, hey, do you need an extra hand or things like that? And, um, you know, unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, depending how you look at it, uh, sports to work, it's very competitive. I'm assuming probably at the Indy 11, you guys get unsolicited resumes every week just because people want to work in sport because it's cool. And, um, you know, I see what you guys are doing there with the 11 and just the growth of the team just, you know, over the past, you know, few years and, you know, whether you'd have the Brickyard Battalion and the flags and all the cool stuff that's going on, you know, from just the Indy 11 point of view, and we could talk about the fuel too, but from the Indy 11 point of view, um, how do you guys create that experience that makes fans want to continue to come back? Yeah, so that's something that like I'm personally working on that I don't know if we've really do dove into in the mm -hmm. past. Um, and it's really activating our theme nights past just putting that as a name on the calendar. Um, so for me specifically, since I've taken over this position, um, the biggest ones that I've really had were Star Wars night and we had characters come in. They were in the venue with us for people to take pictures with. Um, we had little sound bites that Lucasfilms gave us for to be played like during substitutions and if it's the R2D2 sound and the lightsaber noises and just making it more immersive that because with soccer there's so limited opportunities to activate on a theme mm. um we really only have pregame and halftime whereas in baseball you get every inning break yep. um hockey has your intermissions we've got two shots really and it's pregame and halftime um so finding those ways that we can make it feel like it is a theme tonight aside from just having it on our promotions calendar um, so I did that with Star Wars. And then our last home game was Hispanic Heritage Night. And in the past, we had really only done like a community nominated awards for people who were making an impact in the Hispanic community. And that was pretty much the only activation we had. And this year we had like a pregame penalty kick with a Spanish radio DJ. Um, we saw our award ceremony. And then we also had like a cultural dance group come um, and do a halftime performance. So and then we had only Spanish music playing in the venue. Um, which just made it a little bit more immersive um, mm -hmm. past just saying it's Hispanic Heritage Night on our calendar. So that's kind of what I've been doing. And then even looking already into 2024, what themes can we do where we can activate and make it feel a little bit more like kids day or whatever it might be um, is really my whole position now um, moving into 2024. So would you agree kind of with like with the old adage you're working in I've got kind of the scare quotes, minor league sports um, that we're really kind of selling the experience and not so maybe so much the game. Absolutely. And yeah. honestly, I have really no desire in moving to the big leagues. Okay. Um, my friend calls me a career minor leaguer and <laughs> I know USL doesn't really want to be considered that. Um, right. But I love like you get so much more opportunities to be creative. Um, whereas with your, with the NBA, MLB, NFL, they kind of tell you what your theme nights are and it's governed by the league. Um, here, if we want to do something silly, we have a lot more flexibility to do that. We might still have to run it by the league, but they're more willing to let us play because it is more of an experience-based thing than chasing players that you might know, like Monday Night Football. They're going to watch the game and see the athletes. And a lot of people don't even know the names of the guys on our team. So how can we make it exciting when you don't know who's playing or if you're not winning like if you, I've 
this is one of the better teams I've worked for, but like, how do you make people want to come to the game when your team isn't good? Like there's still got to be ways to activate and make it exciting for the fans in the venue, regardless of what's happening on the playing field. Um, and that's kind of what I focus on is yes, I'm here to do a job, which is to make the job, the game exciting. And the players are also here to do a job, but, and we do work together on game day, but we also have to be able to like sustain ourselves aside from what they're able to do. So making it exciting, regardless of what else is happening on the field. In soccer, it, it's interesting there in Indianapolis. So, you know, when we look at kids, it's one of the most played sports by kids in the country. In Indy, you know, the soccer history, there, there's not a lot, you know, if you mm -hmm. go back to the history of the city. Um, but to go back to your time with the fuel. So again, growing up in Indy, I grew up going to Indianapolis ice games as a kid, right? And, and had yeah. a blast. And then, you know, the, there were other iterations of the ice and the IHL, then they go to juniors. And now, you know, they were they were gone for a while and now we got the Indy Fuel. So I know you got there after the Indy Fuel was already established for there a little bit, but was there maybe a difference kind of working in hockey as opposed to soccer there in Indianapolis on how we can provide an experience to keep fans coming back or, you know, Hey, you know, we've seen hockey, it's been here. We've had the, you know, the, the checkers or racers, the ice, all this stuff. What do we have to do to kind of captivate fans to get them to actually come to a game during basketball season in yeah. Indianapolis in a basketball state? Yeah, it was definitely a challenge. Also during cult season was another thing that we were competing yep. against with the fuel. Yep. So um, we were like third man on the totem pole. So we did have to set ourselves apart to pull from them, especially when we had games on the same days. So I would say one of the biggest battles there was because of the history. A lot of people on the phones, like when you're calling from sales perspective, they still remember the ice. And mm -hmm. a lot of people didn't know that the fuel existed still. Um, and the fuel and the 11 are two of the newer teams in town. So the Colts and the Pacers, they have a longer standing history in the city than the Fuel and the 11. And for some reason, people confuse the Fuel and the 11 a lot. Um, so Guilty. <laughs> so not just you. Uh, it happens a lot. And so I think finding ways for people to know that, that they are a hockey team and that they are still playing at far, like Indiana Farmers Coliseum on the fairgrounds and getting them to come when they are competing with Colts and Pacers and especially with companies, getting them to do group outings. Um, they want to go to the Colts game or they want to go to the Pacers game. And mm. there's still a lot of excitement in hockey. And especially with like the group opportunities at the Fuel, one of their coolest group areas is called the Party Deck. And it's right behind the net, like right by the locker room. So it's a really cool opportunity for like a company to go and be right there when the players come out of the locker room and you're right behind the goal when they score. And it's a really exciting place to be. And I wasn't a hockey fan prior to working for the fuel and I love hockey now. And my parents came um, my first year with them. And I have a picture on my wallet of my parents with their first game certificate, because of course I made sure that they had those. And my mom was so afraid of a puck flying and hitting her. And she was <laughs> so terrified the first time they checked into the boards. And by the end of the game, her and my dad were on the dance cam and they had the time of their life. And then so that was in Indy, obviously. My parents are in Marion, Indiana, which is about an hour-ish away from mm -hmm. the fuel. And my mom convinced her boss 
to have their company outing at the fuel game this past season because she had so much fun and all she did was talk about it. And so then they brought their entire office. They drove an hour to come watch a fuel game because my mom was so adamant that it was so much fun and she had never seen hockey before in her life. And so if I can do that with my mom, which she is my mom, but like if I can do that with one person, if I can do that with everybody who's coming to a soccer game or a baseball game or a hockey game or wherever I might land, that's what I want to do. And then I want them to go tell their friends. Like it is fun. Even if you're not, if you haven't grown up mm-hmm. being a sports fan, if you haven't grown up being a hockey fan, soccer fan, whatever, just go once and try it and see what it's all about. And even if you don't know what's happening on the field, you could have fun on the dance cam. Like you, there's still food to eat. Like there's still so much fun to be had aside from whatever the players are doing. Like I know people are so enthralled with the players and they are important. Like <laughs> we would not be here without them, but there's so much more happening at these games aside than like what's happening on the field. I think people get stuck on the player part of it and forget to look past that. And there's a whole different aspect of entertainment happening around them during the game that I think people are just used to hearing it and seeing it, but don't realize how much work is being put into it. Well, I think that's a great selling point there in in the minor leagues. And again, I'm not bashing what's happening on the field or the ice on the court or anything like that, because those guys out there are playing. I mean, it's so important to them. Like tonight's going to be excited. So, um, you know, here in um, the Fort Wayne area, we're recording this on Tuesday, September 12th. It's really exciting in Fort Wayne because we've got the 10 caps playing in the playoffs. And they I'm haven't so been excited there. for them. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, and um, they haven't been in, in years. So it's exciting and everything. However, to your point, like you're selling this stuff to a group. It's so much fun, I think, to take a group or out to a minor league game just because, okay, I'm not so much concerned with what's going on the field, but there's all these fun other things kind of going on to where, like, if you would take me to, you know, a a Cubs game and it's just because I'm a a rabid Cub fan, like, I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to hang out. I want to watch the game. Um, When, you know, this summer, my high school reunion was at an Indianapolis Indians game. I had a blast. I probably missed every inning. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I would go back again. So, um, you know, again, just just to your point uh, on the experience there in minor league sports. So, you know, as we as we kind of start to wrap up things here, you know, now kind of having these years of experience, I mean, starting as you talked about, you are a business administration major. And so it's not just sports marketing or in management majors who can break into sport, um, even though I know I'm kind of arguing against myself in my profession <laughs> a little bit. But if you're willing to do the work and get the experience and network, you can make a career in this industry. So, you know, looking back now, if you were talking to college students and certainly my students who are going to listen to the show, what advice would you give them for those who want to break into the sporting uh, sporting industry? I think the biggest piece of advice is just like pursue every opportunity. You can take something away from every internship, every job shadow, every game day position. Even now, I have a full-time position here with the Indy 11. I still work game days in the box office with the Indy Indians as a networking opportunity. Um, And those are colleagues to me and also like a great networking opportunity to meet other people who are doing the same thing with the Indians. So I'm in the box office there, but I still get to see what they're doing. And that kind of also helps influence new ideas for me to use in my own position. So I think always like looking for new opportunities, don't be afraid to reach out to people who are in positions you want to be in and learn what they did to get there. And with that said, if anybody ever wants to reach out to me, I'm happy to talk one-on-one with any student and kind of tell them my path, because I know a lot of them might not have started or they might all be in the sport management major. But if there's somebody who isn't in that track that 
wants to break in. I think just like applying yourself and kind of learning about how you can get into those worlds, even if your degree doesn't say that, there's still opportunities if you're looking for them to pursue. So, so Rachel, if anybody did want to reach out to you, what's the best way for people to contact you? The best way would be my LinkedIn because things get very buried in my work email. Yeah. So <laughs> I would stick to LinkedIn because that also comes to my phone and I can see that. And we will link to your LinkedIn here um, when this show is posted. Um, and if anybody wants to check her out, she's Rachel Lopez, uh, coordinator, game activations and marketing, R-A-C-H-E-L-L-O-P-E-Z. Um, hit her up on um, LinkedIn. And there's one, there's one um, person you can network with and then kind of have it mushroom from there. So uh, Rachel, again, thanks so much for, for joining us. And, and this was great information. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to check out our social media pages for our next guest on October 27th. As always, we'd like to say a special thank you to producer Josh Hornbacher for his work behind the scenes. This is the Center for Sports Studies podcast, broadcasting from the Trine Broadcasting Network. If you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the Center for Sports Studies podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star rating if you like what you heard. For more information about the Center for Sports Studies, please visit trine.edu. Also be sure to like the Trine Center for Sports Studies on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TrineCSS, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.